You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week, we're hearing from a special guest speaker. I want to I want to preach today. You guys have been in the series through Acts, and and uh, I want to start with uh, some some thoughts and and kind of really focus in. I don't come to mince words or just be polite. I come with a word. Uh, I'm going to preach the word this morning. So hopefully your hearts are ready. But in 2004 at the Olympic Games representing the United States, Matt Emmons was going into his third and final shot in the three position air rifle competition. And he was guaranteed gold if he just hit anywhere on the, on the target. Now, I don't know if you're an expert in, you know, the three position air rifle competition or not, but let me give you some context (laughs) because it's a very precise competition where people win or lose based on millimeters. The the athletes who train for shooting, shooting uh, 50 meters away, will will train to shoot or pull the trigger um, in between heartbeats. So as you can imagine the level of precision in this, Going into his final round at 23 years old, guaranteed gold, all he had to do was hit the target. He, he, he was uh, slowly breathing, takes his final shot, bullseye, bullseye. He looks back, he goes from first place to eighth place. He had hit the bullseye on the wrong target. I can't help but think but that the Western church has been celebrating hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. I'm going to preach today. (laughs) I I love you already. That's what I'm talking about. You know what? Because think about it for a moment, if you will. If you're a new Christian, you know, or you're new to the church and you're checking out, you're sticking to six or whatever the word is, stick till six. uh, I don't know, uh, whatever. Um, Come back again. You got another great preacher next week. Again, eventually you get Gary and then John. You have an amazing church. But I'm going to just share some thoughts. In the Western church, never in human history have we had more access to Christian stuff. Think about it. We have made the gospel so accessible. How many of you brought your Bibles here today? Would you wave, wave up those idols in your hands? Yeah, I saw your idols. I see yours. I said Bibles in, in here. no. We, we've never had more access. You, I studied, I went to school and, and I spent thousands of dollars learning how to go to the library to find out what the commentators said about the various Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic words. And now I have an app. I push the button like this. I hold down the word in my Bible and it pops up all of the commentaries. You can get Bible translations in different languages. You can get a worship album anointed by the Holy Spirit dropped every week. That's worship-oriented towards you based on whatever genre of worship you prefer. You can listen to podcasts and YouTubes. There's programs, there's practices, there's experts in this genre of the church that's made Western church accessible yet with all of our advancement, with all of our technology, all of our accessibility, with all the worship albums, YouTubes, and famous pastors with their podcasts and their platforms, the church in the West is leaving their faith like never before in human history. The next generation's the least church generation in the West. More people are anxious, more people are depressed, and more people in the West are suicidal. We are celebrating hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. What are we aiming for? That's what I want to talk about. What's our aim? How we celebrate what's really going on 
You see, I think in the West, we have been conditioned in the Western church to consume spiritual goods rather than become radical, spirit-filled disciples. John Wimber says, we see according to our expectations. Many times our expectations come from conditioning. We are taught to expect certain things in the Christian life and miss what God is doing if he acts outside of our expectations. I want you to think about that for a moment. Every single one of you came into Vintage Church today with an expectation of what this experience is designed to be. Like what is your expectation of church? I, I did this exercise with a bunch of leaders. It was hilarious. Like what are, what are the expectations you have of what it means to come to church here? And we took this, we, did, we, we put it on a whiteboard and it was like parking. You're like... <laughs> And if, there's, and if we have to go far away, validation for parking. We need that in the church. We need coffee. And in the summer, we need iced coffee with a variety of milk preferences in the same way that when we take Eucharist or communion, there has to be gluten-free. Do you know, I'm, 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 it got real quiet. Don't talk about my gluten-free stuff. Or, or for example, like we, we want sermon, like one person said, I want a 35-minute sermon. I want it to be intelligent and funny and a little bit of convic conviction. <laughs> Worship, a place to put my kids. We just had this long list of expectations. I want to have the ability to come and not be known, but when I really want to be known, I can go. I don't want to feel, there's so many lists of, ex what expectations do you have of church? And then have you ever thought about, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, what the Bible commands of the church? Like if I were to list out, which thank goodness I don't have this, what's expected of those of us that call ourselves disciples of Jesus. One, we're called to make other disciples. Case in point, we could just end there. Let, but let me keep going. Um, number two, welcome to church. Uh, this is the place where we're going to teach you how to die to yourself. We're so glad we're seeker friendly. As you seek Jesus, pick up your cross and follow him. If you don't pick up your cross, which by the way, at the time was the most uh, professional way of killing somebody and hurting them as long as possible and keeping them along as, uh, alive as long as possible as you kill them. As, if you don't pick up that, that torture device and follow me, you're not worthy of following me. That's what we believe here at this church. We expect it to be led by spiritual leaders who are following Jesus full of character. In other words, that the church is commanded to live holy lives so that the leaders of the church, they don't have platforms to steward. Their hearts and their lives are so oozing with the character of Christ that we could say just follow their example and you will know what it looks like to be like Jesus. And if they can't come and you can't see their life, they'll send disciples that they've discipled who live their lifestyle so that you can see what it looks like to be like Jesus. That was commanded in the Bible. That's why Paul, when he's dealing with the church in Corinth, he says, I'm going to send you Timothy, my son whom I love, who will remind you of my way of life when I was with you, which is what I teach to every church everywhere. Oh, no, no. We want the seven points from their podcasts and their download streams. We want to subscribe to their emails. Imagine what it would look like in the Western church if we had character and holiness on the platforms. I, I could go on. We could talk about casting out demons and healing the sick. 
It's what's expected, right? So I just want to say, have you ever thought about the expectations that Jesus has for your life? I'm in L.A. Jesus has some goals. He's got dreams, you know? He's got dreams. I know Los Angeles. I know you have dreams. I know you have career. Have you ever thought about the intentions the creator of the universe has for your life? It's not come to Jesus and he will bless your career path. You come to Jesus and everything gets baptized in him. And then your life now is stewarding the grace of heaven in you so that wherever you go, you now bring testimony to the resurrection of Christ. That's what his dream is for you. You can call it an invitation. He calls it a commission. He's commissioned all of his followers to steward his ministry wherever they go. You see, this is his expectation for you, that you would just continue doing the Jesus stuff. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus' expectation of you is just to continue his ministry wherever you go. That's simple. It's not, it, we, don't, it, we, don't, we don't need to make this complex. This is what he intends for his disciples to simply be with him, become like him, and do what Jesus did. Again, I'm quoting John Mark. You're welcome. I said it first here. Unless he said it first here. I don't know if he said it first here, but I said it now. Now it's mine. Just kidding. What does Jesus expect? Let's go to Acts. I'm going to just give you, I could go a million different directions, but, you know, Gary said keep it in Acts. So here we go. Acts chapter 1. We, we know what the what is, right? We can go to Matthew 28. All right, make disciples, teach, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We get that stuff. We know, we know. Jesus in the book of Acts, after he's raised from the dead, commissions the church. And he says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, go with me to your Bibles. And if you have one, just, you know, fan it. Let people know that you have, you know, crown in heaven. Um, <laughs> just, just kidding. Like, just read it, you know? I don't care how you read it. Listen to it on your runs. I don't care. Just get in the word. You will receive, verse 8, chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, sorry, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to the church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The word witness uh, is a unique word that Luke chooses to use here. It, it, the Greek word is martyria, which is where we get the word martyr. Yeah, damn, preach it. Yes. So Jesus says to his followers, you will receive power, which we'll talk about in a second, from the Holy Spirit to be a martyr to the ends of the earth. Now the word martyr, we know, means to lay one's life down, right? To die for the faith. But you can't die for the faith unless you're first living for the faith. It also means someone who brings testimony, witness, someone who bears testimony. The idea is that Jesus expects you to live in such a way that wherever you go, the presence of God enables you to bear witness to the resurrected Christ. So that you go into a situation and you are bringing evidence for the resurrected Messiah Jesus wherever you go. You walk into the coffee shop, you go to your nine to five job, you're on the commute in LA traffic. Lord knows we need power from the Holy Spirit for that. 
Can I get an amen on that one? Jesus is saying he, you, you are designed to be representatives of him wherever you go. You go around living your everyday ordinary life and the very fact that you are there, there is this revelation that the presence of the divine is in your midst. You bring affirmation to an event that happened 2,000 years ago. I'm bringing testimony. There is a God here because my life points to it. It's not what I'm debating on social media, like that's going to bear witness. No one's going to change their mind because you brought evidence from some scientific fact and posted it with an attitude on Facebook. Are you kidding me? Some of you are like, that's my ministry. Just chill out. <laughs> chill. But when they look at the way you live, when everyone's stressed out and anxious and not sleeping and overwhelmed and fearing everything and you walk in with peace that does not make sense and like well, how did you do it and they're gonna be like what mindfulness app are you using <laughs> are you doing Wim Hof breathing right now are you doing cold plunges because you're the only one not talking about cold plunges that does cold plunge <laughs> you all have those friends if you don't you probably are that friend Chill out. You're on carnivore after you're vegan. That's cool. You're like, I don't get it. Some of you are like, you are literally reading my mail. Are you a prophet? You say, no, 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 no. It's none of this. It's Jesus. He's healed me of my chronic anxiety disorders. He's freed me from depression. There was a season where I was suicidal, and it came back, and he healed me of suicidal ideation. And now I can't even think about it without being overwhelmed by gratitude because it wasn't the psychologist that I tried. It was the presence of God in a moment that took the darkness and took it away. Now, everywhere I go, I am a, a testimony of that reality. Now, what we've done in the church in the West is we've taken that aim and we've applied it with the wrong how. The what we aim at, we, we might have it, but how we go about it is wrong. We've become experts at purpose-driven churches and life and practices and, and marketing strategies to get people in the room. But Jesus says the how you do it is through the presence of God becoming the kind of steward where that's humble to know it's not through your self-help project that will make you better. Sure, those therapies, great. Practices are good. Cold plunges are helpful. Not against those things. But it's the presence of God in you that enables this real transformation. We do it not through podcasts or practices or programs. I love what John Stott said. What we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. We do it through power from the Holy Spirit. The idea of power in Greek is the ability to do something we couldn't do through our own strength. <clears throat> 
Jesus is saying that it's his presence that enables us to do something, something that we couldn't do through our own strength. We can't do because of our repetition or habits. We can't do it because we've been really disciplined and we think that that will empower ultimate freedom. We can't do it because we mastered the right thinking. We can't do it because we, well, we bought it on Amazon and it's in our Kindle library, therefore we read it. it many of you know what I'm talking about. Like just because you bought the book doesn't mean you read the book. But anyways, that's a different story. The Greek word for power is dunamis. And it's where we get the word uh, derived, I'm sorry, from which we have derived words like dynamite, dynamo, or dynamic. So Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be explosive. Paul declared that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk or podcast, but of power. Sorry, I keep throwing in podcasts. I just see it. Maybe it's just for this service. I keep seeing deconstruction happen. And what happens is someone finds a podcast, they get their honey lavender latte and they just leave the church for their podcast. How many friends do you have that have been like, oh, I just got educated and then they leave the very community that requires deconstruction in moments to stay with. Think of Thomas. He misses the resurrected Jesus. The the other disciples saw Jesus raised from the dead, John chapter 20, after he was killed. Thomas was buying dinner for everyone. comes back and they're like, we saw the Lord. He's like, no, I won't won't believe it unless I see Jesus myself. I got to touch him and see him. And then a week later, it says in John chapter 20, a week later, how long was that week for Thomas? Could you, have you ever been in a situation where all your friends went to that thing, they had the mountaintop experience, they all come back and they're on fire for God and you're just like cleaning dishes like, I cannot believe I missed it. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Why didn't God heal me? Why didn't I experience? So we take our wounds, we take our pain, we take the, the loss and the tragedy, our unprocessed pain, and they become places where uh, the enemy comes in, they become places that, that challenge the integrity of our lives. And rather than committing to community and staying with our doubts and our fears and our missed our questions and our deconstruction, we leave community. But Thomas stays And then Jesus comes and meets him in his deconstruction and doubt. And as a result of Thomas, we see Jesus twice. And Thomas's deconstruction or doubt, I'm playing with it now, forgive me, renews the whole community. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You have those friends. But I want to say, podcast is not going to save you. It's not going to change you. The presence of God in your life. We need the word of God and we need the Holy Spirit with us. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And the church was made for power. But what we've turned the church into in our Western context is a pseudo-Christianity of lifestyle enhancement. In the words of Billy Graham, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. God's people are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected and they have often reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, when we experience the Holy Spirit, when we encounter the presence of God, when we're filled with God's presence, things happen. I am so passionate about this because I have witnessed a powerless church for so long. That was my experience in what I grew up in. 
I was a, I was a cessationist. I did not believe in, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit was, uh, was, here, was available for the followers of Jesus today. I thought that when the canon of Scripture took place, that the gifts died with the apostles. That's a theology that is not biblical. I later in life had a theological awakening or a conversion to what is a biblical theology that the gifts are very much for today. The spirit is alive and well. He empowers the church. He enables the church to function. He is the oxygen and lifeblood of the church. It's how things happen. And I believe that, but I was never a part of a community that practiced the gifts of the spirit or expected God to do much Unless there was a major crisis, and in that's the case, if that was the case, you went to the elders and they anointed you with oil in a quiet room somewhere else. There was never much of an anticipation that God has to be true to his word and he does the things he promises in the Bible today in the public in every time we gather. Until I went to a church, oddly enough, in London. So, you know, you have all these pastors in London right now. Great. I was there. I was, I was working at a church in Costa Mesa called Rock Harbor, and uh, I was on staff. I was 22 years old, and we went to London on our way to India. And we stopped in London, went to a church in central London, and they were telling stories from the week that I had never heard of other than stories like it in third world contexts. Atheists getting saved on the tube because of a word of knowledge. People being healed of uncurable diseases in prayer. People coming to faith uh, in the most unlikely places because of the power of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people. And I was like, I want this experience. Pastor was like, let's stop telling testimonies. Let's all have everyone stand up, close your eyes, open up your hands like this, stand here in a circle. And they just went around praying for people. And then I was ambushed by the love of God. I was undone. I can tell you that I grew up Christian. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 19 again uh, or 18. I, I had a radical faith. I was passionate. I served. I was on staff at a church. And then I was, I don't know, undone, flipped upside down, filled, empowered, baptized in the presence of God. And my life was changed. And I thought, how did I grow up in the church, experience church, and that wasn't the norm? It, my life was undone. The next day I went to India and on a train in India going to a ministry partner that we had, I heard as clear as day plant a church in Long Beach. A year later, after I got married, I started a church in downtown Long Beach because I was so, so uh, overwhelmed by the fact that if God is who he says he is, he will empower me to do what he says he, I should do. And at 23, I started a church, and I was committed to building a church in the power of the Holy Spirit. Only problem was, I wasn't a part of a church. I never experienced a church other than that one moment that was charismatic or filled with the Spirit. So what do you do when you've never been a part of it? You YouTube it. <laughs> so reading the Bible, reading lots of dead theologians, reading experiences from the Vineyard and the Jesus Movement, becoming a student of the ministry of the Spirit, and watching John Wimber in 1985 Vineyard conferences, I pursued building a church empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I realized in those moments that God is who he says he is. And he's looking for the church. He wants his church back. You know, it's the when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Things happen. That's when it's the spirit that enables the church to be generous. It's the spirit that enables the church to be a new family or community. It's the church that enables this boldness and courage and, and missionaries. It's the, it's the spirit of God that enables these things. And if you want any testimony from the scripture, just look at Peter. 
I know that Pastor Garrett just did a talk on Peter, but if you look at what happened, he was with Jesus for three and a half years doing the discipleship thing with Jesus. He was practicing the way of Jesus, you could say. <laughs> Living with Jesus three and a half years and watch his life. One moment, you are the son of God, the Messiah. The next moment, you will never take up the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Over and over again, the scriptures show Peter in particular being someone who gets it wrong, says the wrong thing at the wrong time, doesn't quite have a clue. And then when Jesus needs him at his greatest moment, he denies Jesus three times. After he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you or I'll never deny you. A couple hours later, it says he sits down in the Gospel of Mark, warms himself by the fire outside of the house that's bringing accusations to his Messiah. And he denies Jesus three times. And then it says he went away weeping bitterly. And then Jesus raised from the dead. And 50 days after that moment where he denies Jesus three times, the Spirit of God comes on the church and there's a crowd, the same crowd that says crucify him. And Peter stands up with the 11 and he preaches the first message on Sunday morning and he proclaims the gospel. You killed the author of life. Repent for your sins. You will be baptized. Everyone, he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he takes the Old Testament theology from the prophets Joel and he says what was prophesied thousands of years ago is fulfilled in this moment as the spirit comes down like fiery tongues and something happened in Peter. It wasn't a practice. It wasn't a podcast. It was the presence of God. And some of you are longing for spiritual fulfillment. And you can't control it into happening. You have to surrender. You have to become a vessel for God to dwell. That's been his dream for your life. Not learn fasting, learn scripture. Of course do the practices. He wants you to be in union with him. The goal for your life it's not being good at the Christian life. It's being set ablaze and letting the world watch you burn. That's what this is about. But we settle for consuming spiritual goods. I'm way off on my notes. I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. Oh, you don't have to applaud. It's okay. I'm not really coming back anytime soon until maybe next year. I don't think Gare has podcasts on his phone set up, so he's not going to hear this. No, I'm just kidding. His wife's here. Man, there's so much out there. Uh, I just want to, I want to make sure I, I, I think regularly about some of us that are like, okay, man, I hear you, but it can get out of hand. Like what you're saying, just the spirit. Like that's. Have you ever noticed that if you were just to read the Gospels, that the Gospel writers, the way they, they prepare the readers or those who will hear the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, the way they prepare with like um, the followers of Jesus to, 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 to understand the context and the content of Jesus' ministry. They, they have this like, okay, here's, Jesus is going to come and do ministry. And then the, the literary device they use is John the Baptist, the forerunner. And they say, they, they prepare the, the listener, they prepare future disciples to understand how to see the ministry of Jesus, right, before he comes in the Gospels. And if you go to Matthew chapter 3, 
John says, look, here's, here's what Jesus' ministry is about. He says, I baptize um, you with water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You're like, okay, that's Matthew. Well, Mark says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke's gospel says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when we look at how we prepare for the ministry of Jesus Christ, it's one of baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is going to immerse you. He is going to saturate you. He is going to dip you in water. He's going to transform you from the inside out. And I love what, um, I'm just going to skip to this. Simon Ponsby says, he says, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete, and replete with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. To be filled with the Spirit is to leave no room to be filled with anything else. That's the context of being filled. This is why, by the way, Paul in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, what he says to the church in Ephesus, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a unique context. The Ephesian letter, there's six chapters, three chapters. Here's everything that God's done for you. Three chapters of here how, here's how you live now in, in light of what God's done for you, okay? Uh, the indicative and the imperative. That's how Paul writes all of his letters. Romans, it's 1 through 11, all that God's done for you, chapters 12 through 16. Here's what you do in response to the gospel. That's essentially how most of his letters are set up. So in this particular case, he's writing a command for the church, and this is a general letter, meaning it was specific to Ephesus, but it would have been passed around to all the other churches. And he commands the church, don't get drunk off wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the verb he uses for be filled with the Spirit is a continual present verb, meaning it's better translated, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's in contrast to culture. Now stay with me for a moment. This is so important. Because you're like, oh, it's a one-time thing. No, first of all, being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing experience as a church. Every time we come together, we need to remind ourselves to not be filled with all the other things, but to be filled with God's presence because that is what empowers us to do the things he's called us to do wherever we go. But he says, don't get drunk on wine. Now, let me just give you context for this, okay? So here's the biblical, contextual things that are going on. If you were a Roman pagan, there was something called symposiums, house parties. You'd go to a house, there'd be alcohol and food, and the norm, the cultural norm, was to get drunk like crazy, eat as much food as you can, throw up, and do more of it in that same event. That's the norm. The norm was that when you went to a house and there was wine and food, you just consumed like crazy because in your consumption, you're worshiping the false gods. You were connecting to other deities, Baca, and various gods that were, each thing was dedicated. And you would do all sorts of sensual things that because of that kind of mindset where, where you get intoxicated and impair your inhibitions and you would do all the other things that came along with it. This was the norm. We know that this was the norm in Roman context, outside uh, writings, but also Paul in Corinth has to tell the church, a bunch of pagans that became Christian, hey guys, don't get drunk off the communion wine. We know you come out of this context and the norm is that, but that's no longer okay. In other words, when you become a Christian, there are cultural norms that are no longer acceptable for you. 
It's very clear there's an order of things that God intends you to live now that you are part of recognizing he created those things. It's like electricity. I don't just give my son tools to stick into the light socket. That power is designed for something. It's designed to be useful. You were made by, in God's image to be useful now that you're redeemed to reflect God back into the world. Stop messing up the mirror for the wrong things by living in the way that is acceptable to culture but not to Jesus anymore or his way. You with me on this? So, but if he was writing today, like we could take it literally and be like, oh yeah, we can't get drunk off wine. I get it, moderation. I think he would take it further to the church in the West. Hold your breath. <laughs> Buckle up. If you want to use the restroom, I'm not going to blame you. I think he might say things like, hey, don't be obsessed with yourself. Which leads to narcissism and pride. And God opposes the proud. Could you imagine being opposed by God? Lots of you are. Because you're full of it. Ooh. Welcome to a seeker-friendly church. Come back, stick, stick six or whatever. <laughs> You're like, yeah, get those prideful um. <clears throat> Don't be under the influence of social media, which leads to a plastic self of shallow image that you curate that's void of meaning. Oh, there we go. Just kidding. Um, instead, be filled with the presence of God. Don't be um, obsessed with politics, defining and fighting over power, that power will eat you alive and both um, lead to a level of destruction and, uh, and weaponizing the other side as them versus us rather than we are one family under the lordship of Jesus. Therefore, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be obsessed with consumerism. That constant need for more that's never satisfied even after you attain the thing, that drive will lead you to an end that is not from God. Instead, be content and fill with the Holy Spirit. And you just put, it, put the cultural influence there. Don't be obsessed with finding the one. Don't be obsessed with relationships. Don't be obsessed with your career or your dream, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says, if you, we don't have time for this, in Ephesians 5, he, he goes on and he, he talks about what happens in an environment where the Spirit of God is being uh, an ongoing experience. There's like songs and psalms and spiritual songs, Thanksgiving, and then he has this line, and I love it, because we never put this in context, because actually our literal Bibles have like a sub-chapter break, right? And it says, be filled with the Spirit. Here's what's going on. There's five things that are uh, the result Paul will have five things that are a result of a spirit-filled community. The fifth one is out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the fifth testimony of a spirit-filled community. We submit to one another out of our fear of the Lord. And then he goes on and he says, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he talks about parenting your children. And then he talks about slaves and masters, which was the dominant workforce in the first century context in Ephesus. It was the epicenter for slave trade. That's a whole other conversation. But I just want you to notice that when you get filled with the Spirit, it's not about warm fuzzies. It's not about getting zapped. <laughs> Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Some of you are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's so you become the kind of person that lives it out in relationship to one another. It permeates your marriage. It permeates your families. It permeates your workplace. And it starts with you recognizing there's a way of living in the world under that world's influence or living under the influence of God. So you have a choice. Will you live the way of the world, influenced by culture? I might add a subpart. Will you just be a consumer Christian that's satisfied with spiritual goods? Or will you be a disciple of Jesus who's filled with the Holy Spirit for the sake of the world around you? That's a question you have to decide. Now, I, um, I've seen what happens when you surrender to the Lord. The first time we, we brought our friends out from the UK to our church of about 100 to do a Holy Spirit conference. I brought my best friend who was a lead volunteer. It was just my wife and I on staff at the time. And he had never grown up in a charismatic church. He was all for the things I was preaching, but we didn't really have the experience of things of the Spirit. And I brought this pastor and this worship pastor out from the UK, from that church that prayed for me that first time. And, and we were in our, my, my apartment, which was overlooking downtown Long Beach. And, and we finished dinner after a second glass of wine. He's like, why don't we pray for this couple that my friends, John and Lydia. And, uh, and then we're praying for them. Uh, and the worship pastor, you know, they're doing this thing, eyes closed, and the worship pastor uh, says to my friend John, hey, I have a very American image in my head, the movie Hook, and I see you as a little boy, you're on the Pirates team, and you're, bad, you're about to hit the ball, and you look to the stands to look for your dad, but he's nowhere to be found. And my friend falls to the floor, and he Christ, not like a little, like a little bit of give him some tissue, like wailing from his center of his being, uncontrollably weeping. I mean, to the point where our floor is getting wet. And then we, someone's like, hey, I think you're going to pray in tongues. He's never prayed in tongues. He's never seen tongues. He starts screaming this weird language out loud. His wife is against the wall, terrified. What's going on? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is normal. I, I, yeah, this is totally normal. I'm like, I can't believe, I don't know what's going on. My neighbors come up. Is everything okay? They're bounding on the door because he's, he's rolling on the ground, speaking an unknown language, literally like knocking over a chair. It was hysterical. It was weird. I've never seen anything like this. He's on his back crying out to God. He, he's screaming. And, and, and as this is going on, the worship pastor wants to say to him, hey, the word is the heavenly father was always with you. And he's weeping and he's saying, there's so much love. There's so much love. I didn't know this. The worship pastor that he just met didn't know this. But John, his dad divorced his mom and was the coach of the Pirates baseball team. And one day after practice, drove him home, dropped he and his sister off and said, I am no longer going to be in your life as a father. And he stopped his relationship with his, his son. And my friend John's greatest wound was being abandoned and betrayed by his father, who was the Pirates coach. It's called the word of knowledge. And God knew John's greatest pain was that abandonment. And in a moment of chance encounter from someone who believes God speaks today and John's vulnerability to receive, John was utterly undone by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 
This man became a pastor. He's now a pastor on our church. He was, um, he was doing other things in the, in the world, not sinful things, just working real jobs, not, <laughs> not fake jobs. <laughs> he just got back on Thursday from Kurdistan, lead a team in Kurdistan. We were guests of the general. We did a, a medical missions trip where we would go into places with mobile clinic. Uh, we, we, doctors and nurses would treat uh, issues in, in that war-torn part of northern Iraq and Kurdistan. And then our, our teams would, would pray and prophesy. And uh, the testimonies are absolutely ridiculous of what God's done. But one of my favorite things is, you know, every time my friend John prays for people that don't have context, he just, the power of the Lord is upon them. He was in a parliament meeting with officials because of, they were guests of the general. They got to go and had special access. And they were at this lunch with all of these political leaders. And uh, one by one, John started giving prophetic words to these people. And this one couple in particular was radically hit by the power and presence of God. And they were Muslim. And as they were leaving in the big courtyard, these people ran up to John with a translator going, we heard that you read palms. <laughs> and he's like, palms? What do you, he's like, yeah, yeah. And he, they show him like, you read palms, like eyes closed. <laughs> Can you do that for us? Do what you did for them, for us. And he said, um, I don't read palms, I hear from God. And then he, he, he prayed for them. They experienced, it's Unreal. They experienced the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. He proclaimed Jesus, not just the prophet, but the Son of God in the center of their, their religious sins, all because this one random guy was filled with the Holy Spirit in an apartment and healed. Oftentimes, what happens when we surrender to the Lord, by the way, is he meets us exactly where we need him. Every time I experience people who are vulnerable and they're like, yes, Lord, I want to humble myself. I want to be filled with your presence what tends to happen is the things that are inside of them come out first. Grief is comforted. Pain is mended. Hearts that are broken are mended. Joy, when there's been despair. I could tell you story. I have so many stories. I was doing laundry love. Do you know what laundry love is? Where you go to laundromats and provide free laundry for low-income places. I was doing laundry love, learning. This is early on when I was learning about the ministry of the Spirit. And I just believe God wants to speak to people. And there's a woman, she was like, I'm an atheist, but I'm really grateful for free laundry. I'm like, oh, that's fine, cool. And I said, so what's great about that as a ministry is you kind of take um, the clothes hostage and then you talk to them about Jesus. So they're not going anywhere. So you're like, let me tell you. And so she's like, I, you know, I heard you talking about you. I'm like, hey, how about this? Can we just pray for you real quick? And as I'm praying for her, I had this thought in my head, which at the time I didn't know was a word of knowledge. It was a word of knowledge. Um, I just had the thought that something happened to her when she was a child that was really sad and heartbreaking and damaging, and it ruined her whole life, and nobody believed her back then. How do you say that to a stranger? I was like, hey, this is going to sound weird. As I was praying, I had this thought. I say the thought, as I am finishing what I'm saying, she's weeping. How did you know? I didn't know, but Jesus knows, and he wants a relationship with you. And right there, she gave her life to Jesus and joined our church. You see, the Holy Spirit, when we, rec well, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be witnesses. So many of you are trying to do it without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to end by saying this, church, the image I had when I worshiped in the 930 service today, I want to say to you, you are an amazing church. This is an incredible place to be in this moment in Los Angeles history, in Southern California history. I'm believing that with all my heart. 
This church is not only a lighthouse, it is a beacon of hope. Is it a church that believes in the authority of scripture and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit? You have an incredible leadership team here that is dedicated to following the ways of Jesus, that they're not in it for themselves, they're in it for the gospel of Jesus. They're caring for the poor and they're going after the lost. You are an incredible church, but I had this thought and I I leave this with you. So many of you want God's presence, but his presence is like the ocean and you're satisfied with your toes dipped in in the sand of the ocean. And he's saying, jump in. The other image I had when I was worshiping is uh, the Grand Canyon. I got to see the Grand Canyon. I got to see the sunrise over the the North Rim and I did an off-roading trip with my boy. Gare was on that trip. Yeah, we were there together. And we got to see the sunrise. It was the most amazing, transcendent, physical experience I have ever had in my entire life. And I was in worship. I saw myself there worship, uh, uh, experiencing the Grand Canyon. And then I saw so many of you with your backs turned looking at the gift shop trying to get a postcard. God wants to baptize you. He wants to fill you. He wants you to be fully surrendered. Can we stand? <clears throat> We're going to have the worship team come up. And I w- would you just read palms? Just kidding. Open- <laughs> would you just open your hands and close your eyes? We believe in this church that the spirit is alive and well. And he wants to minister to you more than a good talk, more than a great worship set. God desires to be with you. And some of you are so hungry. You have tried everything. I listed out, you know, the yoga, the juice cleanse, the Wim Hof. You're like, mindfulness, check, check, check. Why not be turned into fire? Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to my friends? Release the shame, release the fear and overwhelm them with your love. It says in scripture that he pours out his love in our hearts, that we call him Abba, Daddy. Holy Spirit, would you just come and minister? It says in Luke, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Just ask for it. Your Father who knows how to give good gifts. Let's just wait for a few moments. The Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, minister to your people. Just feel like some of you are in the courtyard watching this in the cool. Why don't you come in if you want to get prayer in just a moment. I invite you to come come into the sanctuary. We're going to have our prayer team come forward too. I'm going to do this. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts and then we're going to pray. Um, first, I want to. I feel like God's put hunger in some of your hearts. The, I want to tell you what, that, what I, I sense. Some of you have been crying through the sermon. God's drawing you. Would you just come to the front? Um, at different points, you've experienced the presence of God. And for, for some of you, it's brand new. For some of you, it's old. You've known this. But your heart's stirring. You're shaking. You're experiencing the presence of God on your body physically. Would you just come forward right now? And, and you're looking at me like dazed. I know there's a bunch of you. And if you're in the center, just push people away. And we're going to come right to the front. Stay in this posture of openness. The rest of you, keep your eyes closed. Keep your hands open. Um, I just really sense that there, there's a hunger that God's releasing in this church. It's all over the nation right now. God's releasing a hunger. And it's a hunger for his presence. It's a hunger for holiness. It's a hunger for God to be who he says he is. And we want to redirect our lives. And it starts with the hungry. 
Some of you want hunger. Come forward. It's not you, but you want it. Just come all the way forward. There's going to be a bunch of people. If you came and just begin to, if you need to cry or laugh or whatever, I don't know what God's going to do, but just do whatever you, you want to do. <laughs> um, okay, a couple other things. And these are a little more sensitive, more specific. Some of you are carrying tremendous grief. Tremendous grief. And it seems like, I want to help you identify what I sense. It seems like I talked about my friend John and the grief, and you resonate with the grief. It's like anytime you see an Instagram ad that's a little emotional, like good news stories, you're like something stirring. There's unprocessed grief in your heart. And I want to say that the Holy Spirit's called the comforter, and I think he's going to comfort some of you uniquely. So come forward. Some of you are, are, have experienced tremendous loss, like f- close family members dying in the last year. We want you to come forward. I want to pray for grief. All right, the other thing is sleep. This is a good one. I, I have seen this, this the last year and a half, I have seen he, the healing of sleep disorders. If you have a sleep disorder, you've been taking medication, would you come forward so we can pray healing over you? I have just seen everywhere I've been, I'm seeing testimony after testimony, I'm just saying this, of men and women getting sleep, getting off meds, not having intrusive thoughts when they're sleeping, not anxious in the day about whether or not they're going to sleep that night. Some of you have little kids. That's not going to go away. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you, (laughs) uh, I can't heal that. That's just called age um, and time. But some of you are going to be healed. I really believe I'm saying this, that in the next coming weeks, there will be a line of testimonies of people that will say, I once didn't sleep and now I sleep. And it's going to be the, the fruit of the ministry of the Holy Spirit on this church. The last thing I want to pray, I talk about anxiety and suicide and depression. And this, you can come and get prayer for this. I want to see a breakthrough in this. I know some of you are quietly suffering with these things. And what I shared about the testimony is not what I've seen. It's happened in my life. And I believe God has it for you. So Holy Spirit, would you minister in power in Jesus' name. Release the gifts, Lord, to see healing right now. I pray healing over sleep, healing over anxiety. I pray you free our brothers and sisters from the shackles they've carried in, that they would go with no more baggage in Jesus' name. For those that need comfort from your spirit, for the grief that's unprocessed, release, Lord, a ministry of comfort in, with each other. And can I just have all of our prayer team come forward? All, anyone that's been through a prayer training, we got a lot of people. If you love Jesus and you want to just say a simple prayer, Lord, bless what you're doing, you can come and be on our prayer team. Don't be weird if, you, if, if that's you. But come on forward, we'll do it. Go ahead. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.